a note, note from, from our, our producers. producers. You may have noticed that this is not the movie Skippy. Once again, we have found that an Oscar award-winning picture sucks so hard that it simply just does not exist on DVD or online, really. This one apparently sucks even harder than The Divine Lady because it there is nothing. There's not even a VHS tape of this movie. At least not for, like, purchase or sale. No. That we could find literally anywhere. So once again... We've skipped, not because we wanted to, but believe me, we're not we're ungrateful. <laughs> We've skipped Skippy, and uh, if anyone knows where we could find it or can link us to Skippy, then we will go back and give it a listen. Yeah, please, we, re- we would really appreciate it. Now, uh, on to the show. The year is 1932. And Mahatma Gandhi completed a six-day fast unto death starting on September 16th to protest the new British-backed laws that aim to separate India's electoral system by castes. He succeeded in delaying the caste system. Nice. Yeah. Something else that happened in 1932 is Tarzan the Ape Man opened, um, starring... Johnny Weissmuller, who was an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, he went on to star in a total of 12 Tarzan films after this one. And the thing that matters that happened in 1932 is the Grand Hotel won the Oscars for Best, best Picture. Picture. I feel like it's always the best director movies that we can't find. And this may come as a surprise to you, but I'll be your critic, Mavis Evergreen. Uh, I will use a feminist, socialist, and uh, LGBTQ lens to look at these old films and see if they hold up. And I'm your other critic, Andy Reyes. I'm going to be looking at things through a film history and socialist lens as much as possible. And failing that, at least, you know, try to bring up things about these movies that we actually like as much as possible. I... I mean, I guess it doesn't come up in this movie. I was going to be like, I thought you offered the minority in our group. There you know? are no minorities in this movie. None. I was just like, well. Absolutely nothing. There, I guess it just doesn't matter. There are more minority perspectives in a container of salt <laughs> than in this movie. Fair. It's rough. Bimbo's white bread has better black indigenous people of color representation than this film. Uh, do you want to Do you want to introduce our film? The Grand Hotel, 1932, is an ensemble piece directed by Edmund Golding, starring Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Joan Crawford, and others, in which a handsome thief seduces two women and fails to steal anything. He instead falls in love with his Mark, a Russian ballet dancer who's lost her passion until she finds love. Also, there is a pompous German businessman who is a jerk to his typographer, the other seduced woman, and also his low-class bookie, who is dying of an unknown illness. The German businessman in the ultimate jerk TM move decides to kill the handsome thief. Everyone is very sad about this, and the salary worker and the typographer decide to run away to Paris about it. The movie ends. Slut. Let's express that, um, the... The first movie to be 90 minutes is a godsend, and I, so all of these movies we're watching are two hours long for no reason. Oh my goodness. I think more so than any of the other movies we've seen, this movie has no reason to be as long as it is. This movie was obviously a play that was turned into a film, and it 
doesn't do this movie any favors. There's a lot you can do with the medium of a play that works really well that just does not translate to a film. This film is so incredibly boring because they do not try to do anything new or try to change the play really at all. It's a very one-to-one which just makes it incredibly boring. It's it's just it's one of those things where I think part of what would make something like this work on a stage is seeing the physicality of all these characters running around a set and interacting with each other in the background while other characters are taking the main stage. But in this movie because it's a movie, characters will just suddenly be alone together for no reason. And then we kind of forget about the other characters until they have to come back. And so certain bits that I'm sure work really well in the play, like uh, cutting back to the front desk clerk for random reasons, work in the play because you can cut to him without losing where the other actors are. But in the movie, it's it's like a bullet out of a gun. It, it just happens and then it's over. And you don't really get a sense of what this dude's purpose is. It is the thing of plays where plays have sets, right? You have your big stage pay- like pieces. You're going to have two or three sets. In this movie, clearly only had two or three sets that were based off the play. But that doesn't work for a movie because you don't know why you're only in these three places. You don't really have a good like spatial awareness of where things are or why things are happening. And because in a play, two characters can be holding a scene while other characters are like, together in the background and you understand as a person watching like oh these people are bonding or getting to know each other hanging out but in this movie you don't see that because it's a lot of just like shots of people's faces um so you don't have that background information so there are there are just moments where people are like connected or talking to each other and you're like you don't know who that person is you've never met this person as far as i know or like you met them once mm-hmm. like a week ago and there's just a lot of this like disconnection between things that really doesn't work for the coherency of the story. The point of the story is kind of summed up by a line said by the doctor character. At the very end. At the very end. And, and at the very beginning. He says it both times. He basically saying that in a hotel, people are coming and going and nothing ever happens. And kind of the point of it being that like a hotel is a place in which people inhabit a space live a life and then disappear and the hotel itself stays the same. And so the purpose of the play is to showcase these stories all intersecting with each other. But the discombobulated editing and performances in this movie mean that we will be introduced to a storyline and then we won't see it for like 30 minutes. And by the time we have almost perfectly forgotten who those characters even were and what their goals were they suddenly come back in we're supposed to like pick that up again but it's not done elegantly enough that you can just care about it all and so by the end of the movie you're just confused why anyone's doing anything yeah it's the let's let's tackle these storylines and then we'll get into the characters so there are basically two main storylines which I think is kind of another thing that suffers is we have a cast of five characters, but these five characters don't each kind of have their own goals and desires. There are two main desires happening that kind of take over everyone else. You have our, I don't think there's supposed to be a main character, but he ends up oh, becoming very much our main, main character. character. You have the, the, the main character is ostensibly Baron Felix von Geigern, a gentleman thief and gambler. And he is introduced clearly supposing to be like this very charming man, this like upstanding baron. Oh my god. 
Um, so handsome and so suave. He's introduced to us because he's very kind to like this poor weirdo. Like I hate this, to. This he's just he just doesn't interact in a way that humans interact, so it's very confusing. But yeah, ostensibly he's poor and weird. And I think he's weird because he's poor, but like we'll get into it later. Um, so he's like very kind to him, and we're like, oh, what a what a lovely kind man. And then he is, seduces a woman. Heavy quotations because he basically does the classic cinema guy move of I'm gonna harass this woman until she falls in love with me which works I guess Mm -hmm. because after slapping her ass touching her constantly and her saying no she eventually is like ah I love the Baron now this is this is uh Flemshin the stenographer played by Joan Crawford yeah Flemshin really just gets handed around to men this whole movie she's like she's like a bouquet of flowers a wilting bouquet of flowers she's just passed on from like man to man to man until eventually someone um, settles someone until eventually someone well she settles I guess. And she's like, I'm tired of being passed around. I'm gonna settle for this fucking weird dude. Yep. What and, and the the Baron's whole thing is that he's a thief because he's gambled all himself into like a, a debt of five hundred marks. It is not clear why he needs this money, TBH. He's it's established that he's like a liar and that he maybe came from a rich family, but like he doesn't seem to have his actual title anymore. We know that like his title Baron is a lie. Whether it was always a lie or is now a lie is like really left up into the air. Um, and he needs 500 marks. And I think we're supposed to assume he gambled away, but like it is super unclear. The, the, it's, it's like implied that he owes somebody a loan money. Yeah. And it's a loan that he took out for gambling purposes. Like, you, but you have to piece that together like really like. You have to really piece that together because the it's just hinted at. They never outright. Nobody ever comes out and says, as far as I can remember, you're in you're in debt with the mob and you owe them money because you're a gambling addict. It's it's just like it's kind of sprinkled in, and I'm fine with that. But it's it's one of those things that it's hard to We're care because gambling so many characters and like two very desperate plot lines that it is hard to be like ah. Let's pay attention to this one, I guess, and try yeah. to piece this together. It, it doesn't work when you have, like, six people running around, and I'm supposed to piece together all of their backstories. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to do that much work. You, you tell me what their deal is, please. If you're going to make me care about this many people, you kind of need to be more upfront about what's happening, just because it's sort of exhausting. I'm trying to think of, like, another ensemble movie that has, like, a lot of characters that you care about in, introduced in a short amount of time. Serenity or Knives Out. Which both we'll compare it to Knives Out because Knives Out is a fantastic film. But like the the I mean I all of these movies are movies in which every you have an ensemble cast right of like you know five to ten characters and they're all introduced in about ten minutes. Yeah, and by the end of those ten minutes, you understand exactly like what this character's deal is Mm -hmm. and what their goal is, and 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 like um, Knives Out is a great example because. Every single character has their has their as a very unique goal, mm-hmm. you know, like and um, a very unique attitude. Yeah, and and also you you get you get it because they're played by these amazing character actors. You also have like a great sense of like exactly what kind of a piece of shit they are. Also, um, I think this is a thing that like partially these people couldn't do because their movies in black and white. But in Knives Out, they do a very good job of like wardrobe wardrobing. And the wardrobe helps you identify, like, who these people are and kind of what they stand for. It's very, mm-hmm. like, symbolic and subtle. This movie's wardrobing is kind of a mess. 
And I, as a person with face blindness, would low-key be like, is this a main character or is this a background character? There, Yeah, there was a hot minute about like 10 minutes in where even I was like, I have no idea who this fucking is. Yeah. Who is this? Is this the same person from earlier? earlier I don't know. It's it's so many. It's so many characters. The, the movie also doesn't really do a very good job of like focusing in or framing important characters. No. There comes a point about halfway into the movie once the plot really gets going. Once the plot... Finally gets going. When you're like an hour in. Hour in, actually. Yeah. The framing really starts tightening in on these five characters. But before that, it's like fucking Who knows? Russian roulette. The camera will just rack focus in on whoever the fuck it wants. And I wanted to get back to the thing you'd mentioned earlier. Knives Out has these like interview scenes that are pretty quick. You get a couple of like dialogue words in and then next, next, next. Um, this movie starts off with people in a phone booth. Yeah, making phone calls. Making phone calls. And it tells us kind of nothing about these characters. I think the only character you really get helpful information about is a uh, German CEO man who pricing. is a German CEO pricing and dying man. He's like, I'm dying. And I couldn't tell you anything anybody else said or why it mattered. To be fair, part of it is because this movie was a little, it was a little mumbly at the beginning and also the sound mixing was really bad. This is another movie that has not been like revamped, revamped or reduxed in any way. So it was just like subtitles were in fact necessary to get anything out of this movie because it's some there are some places where it was just really hard to make out what people were saying. But it's also just hard. Like even if they're saying stuff that's pivotal to their character, it's hard to know if that's important or if it's just fluff because we don't really know why we care about these characters, right? Like these introductions are given to us right away and we don't know where we are or why we're here. Like, the intro is just these five people. And again, in a play that works, right? In a play, you get the set, people walk on, they pick up a phone, and they start talking. And, like, you have an introduction, you have color, you have background, so you kind of know what's happening in a play. Um, But in a movie, that does not work, because I don't know where I am or what's happening. And it's just very hard to focus in on what they're saying without having all of these questions, like, cluttering your thoughts. Yeah. Going back to the Baron, right? This His whole thing is that he has this gambling debt that needs to pay off. And all he's going to pay it off is by robbing a set of pearls, I believe. A necklace of pearls. From a ballet dancer, a Russian ballet dancer, Grusinskaya, played by Greta Garbo. Her name, we got to talk about it. Her name isn't original, no, the actress. Because, I mean, her name is Greta Garbo, and that is unfortunate, because she chose that name. Yeah, you should never make fun of someone's name. Unless they chose to call themselves Garbo. In which case, why'd you go with Garbo? To be fair, I don't think in 19, like, 20, whatever. You don't think they used the word garbage in 1927? I don't think they used the word Garbo. I don't think there was somebody going around being like, ah, damn. Uh, next. We spend an hour of this fucking movie not doing anything, and then finally... After an hour, we get to the point where this gentleman thief decides, all right, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to rob this woman from her, of her pearls. And this is, this, this, the movie should have, A, started here. It's true. And B, this really should have been the plot of the movie. The idea of, like, a movie that is a, a, a heist movie, but. Especially in 1932, a heist, heist movie? movie? A, a heist movie where you have one person trying to manipulate a social environment like a hotel in order to rob a rich patron of something and then get out yeah that sounds awesome that sounds like a great film right yeah and the or even like maybe a gentleman thief who's like trying to woo his way in check out brothers bloom anyways these are all better movies we 
we really diddly daddle around these other characters trying to i don't know introduce their plot lines i guess yeah so the uh, and then finally finally he's in her room he's still in her pearls it's great i'm, I'm thriving i'm like is this it did we find the plot did we find can the i plot? focus on something no because surprise that's not actually what the movie's about so he fails to steal her pearls uh because like shenanigans ensue and instead of escaping with the pearls he like goes to comfort garbo because she's gonna commit suicide because she's sad ballet isn't popular anymore. She she is a, her her career is on the decline. Ballet is on the decline. Yeah, I think at one point somebody's like, ah, I'm uh, I need to go I need to go be a manager for a jazz band instead of this shit. And she's really sad about it because she's like losing her identity of self. Her self worth is all tied up into her career. And seeing an empty stage fills her with such like fear and dread that she just wants to kill herself and end it all so she's gonna do it she's got a little cyanide capsule that i assume she just got from like a nearby nazi this movie takes place in berlin germany oh yeah in 1932 which is uh, wild which is wild um so on the precipice and then this dumb motherfucker this idiot man this fucking this dumbass gentleman thief. is like please don't kill yourself and she's like, what are you doing in my room? And he's like, please, I'm just someone who, he literally says, I'm someone who happened to be alone in your room. Like, it's a mystery. Like, he's I just... think later he just, like, confesses, well, confesses. He lies and is like, well, I'm your stalker and I'm such a huge fan. And you can't kill yourself because I love you. Because I think you have self-worth. There is, there is, like, a top ten list of things you don't fucking do to, like, help somebody who's clearly going through mental distress. And these are all on that list, right? Yeah. It, it's so terrible. She asks him who he is and he tells her, again, this is a literal line, I haven't a bit of character, none at all, and it is true. This guy is a fucking wet blanket of a man. I mean, I think he's a giant fucking creep, personally. They spend the night together. Yeah, it's implied that, like, he super just takes advantage of this woman and has sex with her. It's implied by the, like, the script that they had sex, but we leave them for a bit to go look at other characters. But when we come back to them, they're wearing the same clothes, and he's just kind of sitting on a couch, and he kind of looks She's like... also sitting on the same couch. But he's just, like, sitting there with, like, one of his hands on his forehead, like, I can't fucking believe... I've been talking to this woman for eight hours. Yeah, she's like, oh my god, I can't believe I spilled everything. And and he's done with it. He's like, oh my god. But actually, he's not, and they're in love now. They're in love now. They the love each other. The script does not imply that they love each other. He just says. But he she, just says she, that they're in love, and, and you're she, like, I guess. And she's like, yes, we're in love, and I'm going to whisk you away to Moscow. Also, and he's all like, this woman needed to fix her career you know how ballet is like not popular in the theaters anymore and she's like aging i guess was love because it's popular again and now she's famous again and it's like that love should not solve either of those problems mm -hmm. but i guess it did so all she needed was a man to she, make her a good ballet dancer she, yeah all she needed was that fucking shitty dude i was gonna say that spruce juice that spruce juice it's more more of a more of a talcum powder <laughs> later in the movie somebody says to him oh you look different and it's supposed to be like you look different because you're in love but it does seem like they're like you look different and he should be like yeah i'm not a virgin anymore <laughs> i'm a man now <laughs> uh, hell yeah not a gamer anymore uh, not a gamer anymore had sex um don't hit the player hit the game but there there is so she they're like gonna run away together and, and he's like listen i have to tell you the truth truth i was robbing you 
and here are your pearls. And she's like distraught. And then he's like, no, you don't understand. I really do love you. I need to steal these pearls because I'm in debt. And she's like, well, then take them and pay off your debt so we can be together. And he's like, well, now I can't. And he's like, I can't. You're a woman. I can't use your money. I have to support myself with my penis money. I can't use any of your vagina money. Like That's literally (laughs) his only reason is just like, I cannot be supported by a woman. And it's like, why? My dude, just... She's rich. Here's the thing. The movie could have ended right here. He could have been like, you're right. Taken the pearls, sold them off, run away with this woman, been happy, but no. No. His pride is too much. He can't just... Well, he's a gentleman thief. He has to steal things. He He has to steal the money. He has to steal charity. (laughs) It can't be given to him. And let's talk a little bit about Pracing, who's the businessman. Pracing is like the physical embodiment of capitalism and its terrors. He's like a he's like a shitty little Carnegie. He owns a factory of something of some kind and like a textile factory that makes mops. And he's pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and he's never lied and he loves his wife. And over the course of this movie All he, of those things are false except all for the textile. Of, all thing. of those things proceed to stop being true. He there's there's this scene in which we're mo- like this is the scene where we're really introduced to pricing. And she's like, I I would never lie in a business meeting, but then this business meeting goes on for like fifteen minutes. We watched this business meeting unfold as if we were actually there and I wanted to kill myself. It's implied that it like takes like Garbo. all day. But nonetheless, it's not funny. I think it's supposed to be funny, but it's just awful. I don't think it's And at a- the end of it he lies. And it's like, well, I'll do anything for money, actually, so... You're a real capitalist now, bitch. Yeah. And then also, he's like, I guess I'm gonna be super handsy with my secretary slash typographer. And literally be like, I'll pay you a million dollars to be my traveling secretary who stays in my bedroom. If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. And then she's like, you have a wife. And he's like, ah, uh, she's in Germany. Which is where we are. Which is where we are. But it's implied like, well, she's not here, so it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And also we're going to London, so it like double doesn't so count. So it double doesn't count. This woman is like, well, but I'm in love with this man. And then that man is like, I am in love with another woman. Sorry, but I lost my virginity last night and I'm not in love with you anymore. This woman is set up like introduced to us as being very like oh i'm a hard-working gal and i'm making my own way and i have three jobs and it, it's so hard to be a hard-working gal and then this guy's like i'll give you a million dollars and she's like i can be a prostitute i'll just throw all that away and it's there- and it's fu- let being a prostitute is a hard job and you know what? Like, someone's got to do it's it. It's a hard job. It is a hard job. But I'm not shaming prostitutes when I say this, but I am shaming, like, her characterization because it doesn't make sense. The implication is that she's lying. The implication is that all this stuff that she is saying, that she's skiing with her friends and going out and doing all these amazing things are all bullshit. She's putting on airs. But the the movie, and by extension the play, don't do this very well because... The the only way you even glean any of that is by like this, assuming the worst of her is by assuming the worst of her. But like, why why would you do that? But and also kind of by extension, like it's the only logically the only reason she would even agree to these terms 
is because A, she didn't expect him to actually give her that much money, and B, she really wants to leave Berlin, which she does. She yeah. she says later that she's never been to Paris, which is wild because it's very much closer than London. And like and also it's Germany that's not that far away. I, it's one of those things where it's like it's implied that she's lying about all that stuff and that she's actually down on her luck and very poor. Yeah. But you don't get a sense of that at all. And so it just no. feels like this woman is throwing away her agency and her morals for nothing. I was introduced to the character and this was the way she was introduced to me. So I wouldn't assume someone's introduction was a lie because that doesn't make sense as a play. Like that's a poor way to... That would be like if you... In Knives Out introduced a character and they were like these are all the things i do and then later on for no reason they did different things but it had nothing to do with the murder and it would be like huh this was just confusing for no reason i mean it's one of those things where there is a way to do it right where you can have her be like oh yeah i love to go skiing i went skiing in switzerland and he's like really where did you go skiing in switzerland and she's like ah in mont blanc like ah ah really mont blanc yes in france and she's like mm. right like something like yeah. that like you could you could do something like that in dialogue and you can even have it be like playful where this gentleman thief who is actually traveled and rich and a fucking asshole kind of picks away at her and realizes that that she's putting on airs and while that still sucks and is shitty it it at least makes her... Her character makes sense, mer- right? Make, now we know that this is a life she pretends to have because it's what she wants to have. Yeah. And also it gives her a goal. Yee. Anyway, her character is very nonsensical. Again, she's just a bouquet to be traded around. And like, it's okay that she's traded around because she's poor. And poor women, classically, will just go with any man who will offer them money and treat them like garbage. Uh, speaking about Speaking of garbage men, uh, let's talk about Kringleine. Kringleine. Kringleine is a confusing bag. Auto Kringleine is like Kringleine. a bag of chips, but every chip is a different flavor. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a trail mix. He's a trail mix of a character. He is a trail mix so, of a character. So Otto Kringleine is, is such a weird bug because he is, for the for 90% of this runtime, a comedic foil. He who exists to be shit on yeah. by everybody, by, by God himself, by Jesus. So Kringleine's whole thing is that he he's like a middle class slash poor person um he has like a pretty decent job for the 1930s but whatever he's a poor person by this movie standards um and he is dying so he took out like his life savings and is spending all of it at this super expensive grand hotel And he's like, well, I'm going to die at this hotel living a rich person life because I never got to live that way before. And he doesn't act like a human being. Like, he acts like an alien who's never encountered a human being ever. He's like the first cringe character. (laughs) He kind of spends the whole movie bumbling around, kind of making a fool of himself. It feels like it built it feels like this is a performance for a different movie. This whole movie is so serious and so self-serious that like you you like witticisms are fine but this character is so like self-deprecating and it's distressing to see an actor be well, so the problem is, like right? sniveling and pathetic and the thing that i dislike about these kinds of comedic acts is we are not laughing with somebody we are laughing at somebody the point of it is to isn't this guy so pathetic isn't he yeah such the, a... the point of it is to basically bully and to revel in like pointing at someone beneath you and that sucks like that i don't think that's fun i think that's kind of gross like, but it makes me feel bad in some ways kringle lines 
character works because like his whole thing is that he's trying to find some form of happiness uh in a world that has left him destitute yeah and this this movie is wild clearly not pro ceo like he's he is a bad guy and i don't think the movie's ever defensive of him no he's always portrayed as being like a villain and therefore sympathizes with kringleine but on the same page like we are supposed to laugh at him for being poor and weird and it's like you cannot have both of these things he cannot be a sympathetic character who is down on his luck who we feel bad for and then also be like but isn't he a super loser Eh." which makes which makes his his turn to the hero at the end of the movie absolutely baffling because it comes out of nowhere also we should talk about this now he is really framed as being gay coded like the entire movie well until the end right until the very end has to when he has to take command of this woman well yes but there is like a line there's like a doctor character that we'll get into well you had mentioned things he's basically like the narrator of this movie who like just incites little tidbits um but he says to this man like oh any man without a woman is dead sort of implying like oh if you're not with a woman you're gay and that's a bad thing Mm mm-hmm but also, like, really leaning into maybe this guy is so weird and awkward because he's gay, and that's a part of his characterization, and obviously that's, like, super problematic. But um, at the end of this movie, he's a hero, and it's fine. Actually, don't worry, he's super straight. So the Baron, in order to clear up his debts, decides to... He, he's all out of time. He's getting desperate. Um, and while this is happening... Um, Pracing has gone through with his deal and he has, uh, he has Flemshin in his, in his room so that they can do the fuck sex and opposed to the unfuck sex, uh, which is my favorite kind. (laughs) They, um, are about to do the nasty when, and Flemshin is clearly very uncomfortable with this going through with it. But then all of a sudden there's a noise in in Pracing's room and Flemshin's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Um, and he goes in, and oh my god, there's the thief, and he's like, where's my wallet, thief? And he's like, I don't have it, and he's like, yes, you do, and he's like, ah, you're right, here you go. He's like literally the worst thief ever. This guy, this guy has proceeded to not rob three people. Yeah. Um, In the course of this movie. And- Which explains probably why he has so much debt. Honestly. And then, uh, the CEO man proceeds to beat this man to death. the shit out of him. Yeah, he, I have expected him to like fucking pull out a gun and just put twelve in him just to make sure. He like beats the shit out of this man and kills he, him dead. He kills him dead, and then Flemshin runs in and she like screams, but then is like pushed around by this man and it's like, yo, Flemshin, this man just killed a man. He's probably gonna kill you because you just saw the body. Like you gotta go. This woman has no hustle though. She's just like, I'm gonna wander around and scream. Oh my god. I- she eventually and it's very annoying she, i'm sorry she, it was just like you there is a threat happening hustle i will say it takes her a bit to actually hit like i'm screaming mode she spends most of the time he's manhandling her silent and until she gets away from him does she start screaming which i which is honestly kind of a breath of fresh air because usually yeah. they would just be hysterical I'm, I'm honestly surprised he didn't fucking slap her at some point that's True. That's like a thing that you... I mean, we slap her butt, but never her face, yeah, and we... that's that was more of a pinch. Feminism. Uh, no, the creepy. Yeah, that's why. That's yeah. what. Yeah, I mean, it's it was more of a pinch. Cop in a field. Um, you could see his hand. Like is just it was fucking <laughs> disgusting. Um, I did a hand motion. You did. I listener, didn't like that it. that <laughs> was not appreciated. I didn't appreciate it. 
So then she goes to like the drunk sick man's room. Kringlein's room. And it's wild because up until this point, they have like danced together and that's it. That's their sole interaction. Like how does she know where this guy's room is? Why does she trust him in this situation? Because he's like a character. It just doesn't make sense why she goes to this man's room and it really bothers me. But she does. And see, I bet in a play she would know because like you would have like the five hotel room doors like visible into you And then you would see them talking in the background. Yeah, Something, right? He, in a show of force, in a different character, he just like storms over to the room, Mm -hmm. to the praising room. To the murder room. room. Where Pracing has, like, all bad murderers not done anything. No. He should really bank it on the rich, on being rich to get him out of it. Yeah, he's really banking on it, huh? Hint. Um, So, Kringlein shows up, and he's like, oh my god, you killed someone. And he's like, and Pracing grabs him and is like, you have to help me hide the body. You, He was a thief. He tried to steal my shit. He still, oh, yeah, Pracing puts it, gives him back his wallet, like, plants it on him. Like, now they'll know he was a thief. <laughs> it's true. And, um... Uh, and, and he's like, look, see, we can say it was self-defense. We can say that you killed him uh, and a bunch of other shit. Yeah. And, and he's like, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you money. I'll give you any money you want. And Kringlein's like, nah. Money means nothing to me because I'm dying. Even <laughs> though not, not even though not four minutes ago, he gave this whole fucking impassioned, pathetic speech about how to pour people money is everything. But anyways, but, uh, now he gets to get one over on his old boss and be like, your money means nothing to me. I can't believe you killed this man. I'm going to report it to the police. And so he calls the police from the room to report the murder. Pricing gets arrested. The Russian ballet dancer gets like gaslit Gaslit. by everybody in the hotel into believing that he is in fact going to meet her on this train. So everyone's worried that if they tell her the ballerina that he's dead that she'll commit suicide. Which I mean I guess now she's just going to do it by throwing herself off the train which is one way to take care of the problem. So they've decided like as long as we can get her on this train it'll be fine. Uh, yeah you know just put her on the like moving vehicle that weighs a ton. She's not going to end up well. No. And Kringleine and is consoling uh, Flemshin and he's like and she's like I just need a rich man to take care of me. And he's like, well, I'm technically one of those now. I'm a rich man and we could go to Paris together. Oh, haven't you always wanted to go to Paris? And it is unclear in what capacity they're like companions now. He says he'll take care of her with his money and if she's willing to like stay with this old dying man but it really does seem like romantically together the the like they don't frame it as being anything else the music swells like it's a romance happening but i feel like if it were me i would (laughs) i wouldn't frame this as a romance i would just frame it as like hey i have a caretaker now yeah you're two people who went through this really tragic thing and also one of you is dying and you know dying people do like companionship yeah no that's fine i i feel like the way you would frame it so you'd be like i really need like a nurse and I know you're not, but you don't need to keep me alive. And I, you, you've taken up so many odd jobs. Would you, would you mind taking up one more? Right? Like you could frame yeah. it as like this is kind of just another job for you. But but, but you they don't have don't... to worry about. But you don't have to worry about money. You don't have to yeah. worry about all this stuff. No, he's like, I'll just take care of you, baby. Me and you will go to Paris together. And she's like, we'll be happy in Paris. And it really, it really does frame it as like a romantic thing, which is super creepy it's and gross. kind of gross. Because he's like old and dying. And, and also this is like I, the third man she's been traded off to. Um, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so, like, what's, what's the point of all this, right? Because we essentially turned the first 10 minutes of a Columbo episode into a two hour long play. All of this happens. Like, this fucking convoluted plot. And it amounts to nothing. Yeah. And 
the, again, the sentence we get at the beginning and at the end is like, oh, so many stories happen within a hotel and they don't mean anything. And like, that's it. But that's not like interesting. It's just like you wasted your time. Gotcha. Yeah, thanks for spending two hours here watching nothing. And watching nothing of consequence the, happen. I, I guess if this was a play, what, what this is as a character study, I believe. Yeah. That's what you said, right? Yeah, no. If this is a play, what you have now... Is like the story is happening, and I think sort of the moral is like lots of tiny human moments happen all the time that you're never privy to, but we are telling you this story so that you get to see these human moments. But like nobody is a human or a character really. Like everyone is such like a is such an archetype. So they either don't make sense or they're like a bad person. We don't get to know enough about their character to study them. Because we don't really spend enough time with anyone's, like, feelings or emotions to really understand where they're coming from. But also, the the way it comes down on stories is wild, because used this as an excuse of, like, well, human lives aren't stories, and it's like, well, yes, that's why you write stories the other to complete them to make them nice and the, circular. Also, this isn't based on a true event, so you just told a shitty story, and you're like, that's how human lives are. The other, stories. the other, the other way to do a character study is to, um, to take bigger than life characters, right, mm-hmm. and bring them together in maybe a way that is unconventional or unexpected. Yeah, uh, a great example of this is a production I once saw when I was in in late high school uh, at my local college called Picasso at the Lapina Gilles, which was written oh, by Steve Martin. Nice, nice, nice. I've told you about this play, yeah. um, and in the play, it's it, the whole play is about Albert Einstein and Pablo Picasso meeting at a bar and talking about talent and genius, mm-hmm. talking about how ostracizing it can be and how dangerous it can be to be considered a genius because it obfuscates the people who helped you and also the hard work that it took. And it makes people think that if it doesn't feel easy, then you're doing it wrong and how that's bad and and like the complicated nature of like pop culture and our relationship with it. It's a play that has a lot happening that's interesting, and it really only works because you have these two characters who are supposed to be these bigger-than-life mm-hmm. icons, right? That's another great way to do a character study. Another great example of this is a recent film called One Night in Miami, which has, like, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, right? And, like, two other, like, amazing, uh, like, characters of, like, the civil rights era mm-hmm. all meeting in a hotel in Miami, a thing that actually happened, apparently. And, like, you get to see these characters interact and talk about politics and about being black in America. That's great shit. That's a great way to do a character study because you're taking well-known public figures that we all have these, like, parasocial relationships with and using them to explore dynamics. Yeah, there is a, like, third way you can do character studies, and it's classic Italian plays where you get archetypes of characters, right? Mm-hmm. And then you explore stories with them and you're able to do it faster because people already know what these archetypes are. So anything you do with them is going to be new and interesting and add like a different flavor, a different twist to it, right? It's it's like Honestly, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, right? Yeah. But instead of, instead of it being like, oh, I took these two characters from a Hamlet play, it's, hey, there are these five characters that everybody knows and we're just going to keep writing plays with them in them in different scenarios, yeah. switching it up to tell different and there's stories. Like, a societal familiarity, a pop familiarity with these characters. Mm. There you go. But the problem is, is like a twofold problem, which is these characters are not that. They are not enough of an archetype to be doing anything interesting or new. They don't change the archetype, but also like clearly they're not saying anything about the archetype of these characters. And also the archetype of these characters for all of them is not very clear. No, it's very fuzzy. Very fuzzy. Except for the CEO, man. 
He's a very clear archetype. Well, even he's like not like I don't know. Maybe at the time he was a cla- he's like a classic idea of like a businessman, but he sits in this place that doesn't really exist today anymore, right? The honest there, capitalist yeah, turned yeah, bad. There, yeah, there is no there is no middle management capitalism anymore, right? You're yeah. either big capital or you're little capital. It's true. I know this is a two hour thing, and we're talking about how boring it is, but nobody's talking about anything interesting they're not talking about anything that furthers their character we know surprisingly little about these people when it ends we are not studying them so much as like we are studying absolutely nothing we are studying the the interactions between them but the interactions between them are all like placid and don't actually build to anything the a great way to do something like this would be to take take the setting right Mm -hmm. take a hotel yeah just take the entryway to a hotel right and Mm -hmm. you have one consistent character a porter uh-huh. Which this movie does have, who's, but his his whole thing is that his wife is having uh, is giving birth to a child, and he's mad that he's not there to see it. But and also, he's at the beginning and end of this. He's not in the middle at all. He doesn't interact with anybody in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um. But like, you can have that, and then you can have a play that is just like increasingly eccentric and weird people interacting trying, with the supporter, trying to check into these hotels, and maybe interacting with each other in the lobby and having yeah. discussions, and like that could be fun. That could be awesome, and you can even have like. You know, double cast actors so that yeah. like 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 the same person comes in but as a different role. Stuff you, like and that. And you can do something. You can say something about society at the time of like the people you see. And like customer service is a wild ride, mostly bad. But like you can really talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. I will. I will say here's a pretty here's an interesting fact to date. So in the entire history of the Academy Awards, this is the only film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture that was not nominated. In any other category, wild. So it did not, not. It wasn't not. It wasn't even nominated for best director. It wasn't nominated for costumes for editing. It wasn't nominated for anything except best picture. That seems. That seems sus, sketch. That seems sus as heck. I'm, that's pretty sketch. That's I don't pretty trust sus. That. Um. So Andy, I've honestly been excited is not the right word, but intrigued in uh the age difference between our co-stars because mm-hmm. every man in this film looks so old. I wasn't going to. I was originally only going to give the ages for the three leads. Mm-hmm. But, I think we should get everyone. But I think I'm going to give us the ages for all of all five of these main characters. Starting with Greta Lovisa Gustafsson, uh, later known as Greta Garbo. Uh-huh. How old? She played the ballet dancer. Okay. How old do you think she was? I'm trying to remember her. She was in Hollywood for a pretty long time and was really famous. So I think she was... 24. 24. 24. All right. Um, she was born in 1905, which would have made her 27 at the Oh, wow. She film. looked great. John Barrymore, who played the Baron. The Baron, I think, is 42. 42? 42. John Barrymore was born in 1882, which would have made him 50. Oh, my God. That's so much worse than I thought. Thought. That's that That's is a so difference. Gross. That is a difference of about twenty three years. Ew! Every time that is almost it shoots double her age between their faces and that like romance scene. She, she's the pinnacle of like youth and, youth beauty, and beauty, and he's so he, old. He's so wrinkly. He is caked. He is covered in makeup, and he looks like shit. Yeah, it's he, it's it's very he's discomforting. Got fucking canyons, and like I'm not like I don't want to be ageist, right? Like the guy looks fucking good for somebody who's in their fifties, but he is clearly so much older than her, and it is disgusting. Like yeah. it's like, dude, go fucking date somebody your own age. You should be dating her fucking like maid, <laughs> like not her. Joan Crawford, uh, who was originally born Lucille Fay Lesseur. She's the other woman. I I'm gonna. 
stick with my guess of 24. Is that your final answer? Yeah. I would have accepted any number between 26 and 30 because we don't actually know when she was born. This is the thing that I was freaking out about earlier. That's wild. She she herself stated that she was born in 1908, Mm -hmm. which would have made her 26 as as of this film's release. Mm -hmm. But her daughter claimed that she was born in 1904, which would have made her 30. Okay. Um, so we don't actually know. It, it is highly contentious, but I'm going to assume that she was, if her daughter wrote that she was 30, I'm going to assume she was 30 yeah. at the time of this film's release, but she could have been as young as 26. So the women were a little older than I thought. They were definitely not as young as like the actresses from like Wings, right? That's like, true. Who were which is nice. Absurdly young. Yeah. Um, but also they the They were actors, all really famous, but also which the, I should have accounted yeah, for. But also the actors in those movies were their age. Yeah, were also really young. The actors in this movie all looked really old. They looked terrible. Lionel Barrymore, who was in fact John Barrymore's brother. Younger or older brother? Well, I'm not gonna say. <laughs> I almost told you, but that would be cheating. <laughs> Played uh, Kringleine. Kringleine. I'm gonna say Kringleine is older. I'm gonna say he is 55. Lionel Barrymore was born in 1878, which made him 54 at the time oh, of this movie. Nice. Really good. That's really good. You're batting a thousand. Uh, by the way, you're like getting really close. To I mean, all not these. to these women, but no, you you were pretty close. Twenty four is not that far from twenty six or thirty uh, or thirty. Well, <laughs> right, but like I'm saying, there was a range there. Yeah, you know, true. if you add stand, if you add like a deviation, I'm sure you'll get caught by those edges. And you were also really close to Greta, uh, Greta's age. She was also like twenty six, right? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Um, Wallace Beery, who played uh, Price the CEO and, yeah, man, the businessman, the cat. Capitalist uh, fuck. He, I'm gonna say he was Money like bags. 46. Damn, batting a thousand. He was born in 1885. That would have made him 47. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, I was like, I think he's a little younger, but by like a fucking couple of by years. By like a couple of years, yeah. It is just because he. I think he was literally more muscular, and that was it. I was like, he fucking massive compared to these two. It's honestly, inti- it's not like. Ooh, he's muscly and that's attractive he's or like whatever. It's just intimidating. Yeah, he, it's he, just like when he's framed like manhandling these women, it's like genuinely scary because he's like twice their size. He is fucking massive. Yeah. Um, compared to both, compared to these tiny women, but also these, he's also massive compared to these two dudes yeah. who are kind of lanky, but they're also really tall compared yeah. to these women. It's one of those things where just every time these dudes like are throwing these women around, it just feels really shitty. Yeah. I, this is the age gap that I was expecting from old Hollywood. The fact that it took us this long to get here it's is kind of nice, is kind of nice, but also I feel like it's, it's only ever it's, going to be yeah, here from We're going to stay here for This is a place so that we're, long. we're going to, we're going to stay here, uh, until the modern day. Because even it then, still happens. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it sucks. I love when you hit 30 and you're a mom, but you hit 50 and you're still the stud of a movie. I, I am like 90% sure that there is an actress out there who has played Tom Hanks' daughter, wife, and mom. That's In wild. three different movies. Or something ridiculous to that effect. Because, yeah, the way we treat women in Hollywood is fucking disgusting. So speaking of Hollywood, what was your uh, favorite part of this movie? I think my favorite part of this movie... Your favorite scene. The introduction with everybody at the phone booths. I just think that's such a clever way to introduce a cast of characters in a movie. I mean, it doesn't work. It doesn't work and it doesn't do shit with it. But it's one of those things where I saw that and I was like, that's a really good way to do this. It's a fun framing device that you misuse. I've definitely seen other movies do this better i'm struggling to think of one but like yeah just like having you know who they are when they think they're alone or when they think they're with someone they can trust and a phone booth is oddly enough a liminal space that exists as a public place that is private um when you are there so Mm -hmm. i I think it works really well nice even though this movie doesn't again doesn't do it well and doesn't do shit with it 
I think my favorite scene is something that we haven't really talked about. So the Baron is a dog owner. Oh, yeah. He has a cute little dog. He's got a cute little dog. And there's a scene in which the Baron is, like, madly in love, and he's always, like, in Bruce and Skya's room. And... To, like, show this, they're, like, knocking on his door to be like, hello, but he's not there. But his dog's in the room, just, like, lying still, and they knock on the door for a while, and that dog never gets up. And I thought the movie was, like, his dog died, because he fell in love and forgot about his dog. dog. And I thought that for, like, another hour. Eventually, you find out the dog lived, but no, in that moment, I was like, fudge, this movie killed his dog because he fell in love that's bananas but i think later we see the dog being like walked out by a port one of the porters like yeah. like find someone to take care of this dog if this was a better movie uh the ballet dancer would have gotten the dog and yeah. it would have been like her way to move on from this tragic endeavor and have a happy future and not kill herself um, but instead, this movie likes to leave us in this beautiful, hazy area where she could die at any moment after this movie's credits are roll. That's true. Um, the history of this movie, just from kind of casually looking it up, uh-huh. at the time, and I think even now, people consider it to be like an artistic treasure. I think that's horseshit. The The one thing I would give this movie is its set design is pretty fucking awesome. This hotel looks great. And it was all the set. The way it's shot is terrible, but the set design itself is good. It's great. And like, it's a set. And that's wild to me. Like, the the 360 degree desk that they built for the movie looks Mm -hmm. pretty cool and how there are a couple of shots in the lobby where the camera pans from one end of the lobby to the other to follow characters around that's pretty interesting i think the only reason you would even think to care about this movie is because you love greta garbo yeah it's probably one of the few movie it's one of two movies where you'll see the barrymore brothers acting together as a piece of like just watching these old actors doing their thing i guess that's something but like who gives a shit this movie doesn't deserve an Oscar. No, no. Maybe give people like an actor award or something, because that's clearly what everyone's here for. We, we but this do... movie does not stand I... on its anything. I, I really do think the Oscars just need to have like a like a hey, this this person, this director or this actor or whatever has done a lot and deserves some merit of award. You've been here a while. You know, yeah, that way we can like give Anthony Hopkins his we've been here a while award and then give best actor to like an actor who maybe deserves it more. Yeah. No offense to him. I a lot of the Oscars really does seem to be like reveling in the past. And it's like, I don't know, you can't you can't really claim that you're like a bastion of cultural identity if you're not willing to look at what's current, what's new and what's current, what's happening. So no Oscar for this movie. Um, And don't watch it. Don't watch it. Don't waste two hours of your life if like you we did. D- if you do, though, there is a Blu-ray version of the movie that came out in 2013. So, you know, there's fucking that if you want it. I've been your critic, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me on Twitter at Allegory Awkward. I have been your critic, Andy Reyes. And you can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Balance. And next year, join us in the year 1932 again. For the movie, Bad Girl. By Frank Borzaggi. It won who, Best Director. Best Director. We might we remember Frank Borzaggi from Seventh Heaven. We do remember him from Seventh Heaven. And God, I wish we didn't. I wish we didn't remember him at all. But here we go again, Mamma Mia. Diane. Chico. Heaven.
21 for Mortal Kombat. Mortal. Should I pick a different one? 